Welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast number 238. We have a lot of these devices in the healthcare industry that are not, that are not going through any of these types of security process because there's no market push from the customers for this. They want to make sure they have the devices with the most features, the most medical features, and the lowest cost. Cost is very critical for the healthcare environment. So at the end of the day, the vendors are, aren't going to do that because that's not what the customers are asking for. There was one clear message out of a hearing on Capitol Hill last week on the cybersecurity of the healthcare industry. The cyber risk to clinical environments is growing and fast. We've already seen the evidence of that, like the October 2020 ransomware attack that targeted the University of Vermont Health Network and resulted in months of recovery and tens of millions of dollars in damages. Or the May 2021 attack on San Diego-based Scripps Health, which forced the health system to take a portion of its IT system offline for several weeks and resulted in the theft of data on some 150,000 patients. There's another factor driving medical cyber risk as well, which is automation. As hospitals and healthcare providers lean more heavily on technology to lower the costs of providing care, they're becoming more vulnerable to cyber attacks and disruption. A case in point is the alert that CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, issued in early April regarding a string of serious vulnerabilities affecting a medical robot known as TUG, manufactured by the firm Atheon. According to that alert, five vulnerabilities ranging in severity from 7.6 to 9.8 on the CVSS scale could allow a remote unauthenticated attacker to connect to and control tug autonomous vehicles that are deployed in hundreds of clinical environments and that interact with them, opening doors or summoning elevators and transporting medicine. To understand more about the flaws in the tug device and the larger risk of cyber threats against clinical robots and other technology, we spoke with one of the researchers who discovered and reported the tug flaws, Daniel Brody, the chief technology officer at the firm Scenario. In this conversation, Daniel and I talk about how his team stumbled upon the tug robots and their flaws while assisting a Scenario customer, and the larger issue of cyber risk in medical devices. To start off, I asked Daniel to tell us a little bit about himself and about Scenario. I'm Daniel Brody, the CTO and co-founder of Scenario. Daniel, welcome to Security Ledger Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great having you. Um, Daniel, uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Scenario, uh, tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys do. So Scenario was founded uh, between uh, four and five years ago uh, by myself and my co-founder. We both came from a cybersecurity background um, from many years. And what what we kind of did was we've been exposed to kind of cybersecurity from many different aspects of it. And, and when before we started Scenario, we were hearing from some friends of ours about the cybersecurity world in the medical device field and kind of the healthcare field and the problems that they experienced. And th- that for us sounded very interesting as for both of us. We were a little bit frustrated with a lot of the cybersecurity products that we were working with or developing or involved in, that it was very hard to see how you actually provide value and how you actually get uh, your customers to to really need you and not to be something that's more of a FUD, a fear, uncertainty, and doubt kind of discussion around cybersecurity. And the more we learned about the healthcare IoT world and the medical devices, and it was 
very clear to us that there is a very clear value that the healthcare industry needed around helping them secure their medical devices, which were running outdated operating systems, were unmanaged, were uh, uh, not patchable due to either regulation or, or manufacturer limitations and, and, and not being able to segment them as part of the network as what you have in a, a lot of other industries kind of resonated with us with the ability, oh, well, we really have the ability to create a product that customers will actually be able to use, will actually want to use, and will really, really help them. We're not solving some theoretical right threat attack from a state actor. We're solving issues that they're going to have on a day-to-day basis, and they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Scenario, do you focus on kind of pen testing and red teaming? Um, what, what type of work do you do, and do you work directly with the manufacturers or do you work with their customers, the hospitals and medical? So that's a great question. Uh, when we started out, we realized that there are just too many manufacturers, too many players involved to actually be able, to, and the shelf life is also too long to make it realistic to work with the manufacturers. So we developed a product where we work with the hospitals and we create a product which allows them to know what they have on their network, which vulnerabilities, which risks they have by being a passive network solution. The big one of the big problems is a lot of the solutions that you have for the IT world that helps map out what your organization looks like, what your security posture is, what are your risks on your network. They're very active. Uh, they actively scan the devices and the ports, and they actively attempt to exploit vulnerabilities on the network. And our solution does it all passively. So we get a copy of the span port traffic, which is a copy of the traffic that goes through the hospital network. We parse it, we have uh, uh, metadata being sent out to the cloud, a very minimal amount of metadata that allows us to give the hospitals, these are the risks you have, these are the actions you need to take on these risks. This is how, what you need to do tomorrow morning to take care of your most critical risks, this is what you need to do in a month from now to take care of your less critical risks. And this is kind of the ongoing work you need to do. And that in addition to another product we released recently, which also helps uh, Healthcare organizations respond to active attacks on their network, where before us we were seeing with hospitals we were working with, it was taking them a week to respond, at a good case, sadly, to respond to a ransomware attack that was spreading across their medical devices. Because you have a medical devices that has now infected with the ransomware, what do you do? Oh, you try to connect, uh, to communicate with the vendor. The vendor takes time for them to respond. Does your service agreement include the vendor allowing them to come and service the device or not? If it's not okay, then what do you do then? You try to get the vendor to allow you to, serve, to to install an antivirus. Usually they don't allow you to do that. You have to figure out what your actions are. It takes a long time for an organization to figure out. Again, it's not the hospital's blame. It's just it's a complex question of what you can do. Uh, and these devices are connected in a flat network. So the net, the laptop that the doctor takes home and right, the kid is playing on and gets infected with the ransomware, then gets put back into the hospital's network the next day. That's sitting right next to that critical ventilator device or whatever it is. And th- so we, we developed a solution that also helps the organizations respond to these attacks and take it down from this week that it used to take them to really minutes to how do they respond and limit these attacks from spreading across the organization. You mentioned ransomware. I mean, that's something that's really come to the fore in, in recent years are ransomware attacks on medical facilities going back quite a few years. But we really saw it during the pandemic. There was a very um, prominent uh, attack, I think, in, in Vermont. Is that more just a traditional IT network or, or do those ransomware attacks also often affect uh, medical devices and equipment? It's all the same network at the end of the day, right? There is no, in most hospitals, there is no medical device network. 
They have a yeah. general network, which has also medical devices on it. They're starting work to meet around segmentation, which is where the industry is headed, and it's a good thing. But in general, if you have a ransomware on the IT's hospital's network, it'll infect the medical devices, and it can ha cause some devastating effects, as there was a Scripps hospital that had a, a, a ransomware attack that really took them out for, I think it was close to a month. I don't have the number of friends. I think it was close to a month. There was another hospital that, in addition, that is now in... Um, in a legal case around uh, uh, the fact that the uh, ransomware attack required the hospital to operate uh, stuff in a more manual manner. Um, so for example, the uh, prenatal uh, monitors that were usually managed using a centralized uh, station were not managed using that because the network was down due to being infected by the ransomware attack that required the nurses to adapt and kind of figure out how they you know, manage in a way where they had you know, they had procedures for how they handle um, uh, patient care in, 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 their, in, in, the, in the department. But suddenly, you know, all these procedures aren't relevant anymore and they have to, you know, adapt on the fly. And then they started moving all the uh, uh, critical care uh, uh, babies with the uh, volume turned up as much as possible so they could hear the alerts. And they sadly missed a uh, situation, a case with uh, one of the babies that very uh, sadly passed away. That's right. That's, That's right. Case. And I think that 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 ended up, I think, getting reported on. And and um, there have been uh, I know I'm good friends with Josh Corman, who's also you know sort of uh, done some really interesting research that shows kind of a correlation between ransomware attacks and, and mortality rates. You know, one of the big trends right now, obviously in healthcare, as in other industries, manufacturing, agriculture, you name it, is automation. And uh, we're talking today because your um, company, uh, Cynerio, did some really interesting research on a basically medical robot, I think that's how you can describe it, called Tug, that is basically a, a robotic uh, medical cart that can uh, navigate itself around uh, a hospital and, and deliver uh, medicines and so on. And you all found some really concerning vulnerabilities in that um, hardware and software that you wrote up back in uh, April uh, called it Jekyllbot. First of all, how did you become aware of these tug robots? Just tell us a little bit about how you discovered these vulnerabilities. Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. And, and one of the core parts of how we work, one of the teams that we have in our organization we, uh, is called Scenario Live. And part of the work that we do is as we move with, uh, and work with more and more hospitals, uh, there are interesting and unique devices that uh, operate in terms of how the hospitals work. And we work with the hospitals to understand what the impact of these devices are, are on the organization to make sure that when we score the risk, it's done as accurately as possible. That when we detect them, we understand the impact these devices have on the organization and that we understand how they're being used across the organization, right? Uh, one of the core things you want to bring to the table as being uh, healthcare uh, experts is being able to tell an organization the difference between the risk on a ventilator and a risk on an IoT camera, right? That's very different risk from an organizational standpoint, even if it's the same vulnerability. Uh, so the work that they were doing with the hospital, uh, with one of the hospitals we were working with, they saw um, interesting communication on the network that was um, uh, that was indicative of these uh, Atheon tug robots, and we found they're also communicating with some other components in the network such as the elevator systems and a few other systems in the hospital. And um, that required, that kind of prompted us to kind of start a discussion with the customer to better understand what it, how they're using them, how they're being used across the organization. 
And, um, and and then what we did was we we set up a few uh, security procedures to make sure we do not affect. And I'm not going to get into all the details of how we do that, but when we do research as an organization, we kind of make sure to when we to set the stakes in a way that we will not impact the hospital in any way. Which is again what, one of the big challenges we have as a healthcare cybersecurity company is. We, right, we don't have the resources to buy an MRI device and have it in our office. Uh, it's a little bit out of our. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, no. I mean, that costs like half a million dollars or more. I, I don't know what MRIs go for these days, but yeah, they ain't, char- ain't cheap hardware. So hard to hard to have one in your uh, in your lab. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we don't we don't have a radiology lab as a as a part time no. project in the company. Uh, iPhones you can afford, right? Uh, webcams, yeah, you can get those. But yeah, MRIs, no. Yeah, I mean, this is and this is this comes up in other sectors as well. Agriculture as well. You know, you, you farm equipment might cost a million dollars for a, for a combine. You know, so you can't as a as a small, even a large cybersecurity research firm, right? You're not going to be able to get your hands on one of those. Even automobiles, right? Or that's a significant expense for for any company just to to tear it and break it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think that the difference is is that for a lot of organizations, like again, I don't know the agricultural uh, field yet, at least, uh, but uh, it's it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's a fertile area. No pun intended. You might want to take a look. <laughs> uh, but 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 there's a big challenge in terms of how do you affect the hospital where it, it can't you know say oh okay you can take this for a day and and kind of research it like how, how do you research you know a radiology device that's being used twenty four seven. By the healthcare organization, it doesn't have the ability to do downtime on it, right? Sure. So there's a right. There's, that's a big challenge we have, and, and one of the things that that we do are working very very closely with the organization. So we set up those security parameters, and then when we were looking at the at the portal and um, at the admin portal that was managing the devices, um, we found a number of vulnerabilities that um, were, were pretty concerning to us. Any um, everything from uh, XSS uh, vulnerabilities um, and even to Kind of the core part of the of the dashboard not being protected in any meaningful security in any way and being able to allow us to create admin admin users without any login credentials uh, and being able to and then so we understood that there is like very basic vulnerabilities that have a critical impact and they got scored by um, something even by nine point eight by the CVSS scoring then um, and and the next step was to understand what the impact would be. So as we continue the research, we understood that there is like a virtual joystick that allows you to control the robots. And again, we, doing things very, very carefully, making sure we can move it just kind a of, little kind bit. Kind of GUI-based joystick, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, on the web page. And then I kind of understand there's an API behind it, and the API can be used, again, without proper credentials, without proper protection on it. So these devices are pretty much used to do everything in the organization, right? They're used to help... Uh, deliver medicine. They're used to help deliver linens. They're used to help clean rooms and and move trays and and really to help the personnel doing whatever they need to do in the organization. Uh, and those same things could now be done by an attacker, right? Uh, so all we were able to using very uh, simple procedure confirm all the processes and all the kind of vulnerabilities that they had and kind of the impact of them. So we could control elevators, we could you know, move them around, we could control uh, the camera. They have a camera that they can you know, be used to navigate across the hospital. So we could control that and get the images from the camera. And that really made us realize how big the impact is um, in terms of these vulnerabilities and these devices are in the healthcare industry. Yeah. 
so this resulted in a uh, this research that you did resulted in an ICS advisory from um, CISA, the uh, Cybersecurity and Infra- Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, five CVEs, some some pretty serious ratings here on them. So basically, just to back up, you you guys were just doing some you know some work on behalf of a customer saw the suspicious traffic. Um, I think it was to and from like the elevators and doors and and c- kind of followed the trail back to the base server. So these ro- robots are deployed within hospital environments, but they're controlled from a just kind of traditional server, right, that that communicates with all the robots o- over wireless network, I'm guessing? No, um, over the regular TCP communication over the, yeah, the wireless hospital network. And found this um, server and then just kind of did some digging there. What was the response of the company when you brought this to them, and and um, what what happened at that point? So we were when we discovered the vulnerabilities, we made sure to to contact the company as early as possible. There was some gap in communication; we weren't able to reach anyone in the company that was uh, relevant for yeah. the communication we were trying to do, which is, I think, one of the big. They didn't, they didn't have that front door for security reasons. They didn't have that if you've got a vulnerability reported here, which is a really common problem, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were trying to get to their support. Their support saw somebody, I guess, was pranking them yeah. or something. So yeah. uh, that's that's when we contact contacted CISA and started uh, our uh, responsible disclosure process. Uh, they were able to get them on board uh, very uh, early on and very quickly. Uh, the reason it was critical for us to move as quickly as possible was uh, reporting to the vendor uh, was because sadly what we discovered uh, was some organizations had, again, from a deployment error or, or from uh, you know uh, user error in terms of how they were deploying the server, Mm-hmm. Had these serve uh, the that home base server that you mentioned uh, open and connected to the internet. Wow! Right. So, which means we, from outside of the hospital, so not on the hospital land, you could have gotten to that server and controlled the robots that were moving around within the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Which was for us like terrifyingly scary. We had a few in the U.S. A few outside the U.S. and it was critical for us for uh, and, and CISA. And once a vendor was contacted by CISA, we we're able to move very very quickly. And you know, props to them for being able to do that, and you know, uh, to, to really quickly close these uh, those critical uh, open vulnerabilities as quickly as possible. And then they also did uh, some good work in terms of making sure they close the vulnerabilities and worked with their customers to to see that they, their customers were updated. And we really were wanted to make sure that we knew all the customers of theirs that they know of, right, uh, were updated and did not have the vulnerabilities. We also did a, a verification process with them um, in one of the customer sites where we had the. That testing done initially um, before we would release anything, obviously, so to make sure we would not impact uh, any you know hospitals with this vulnerability with this report. So, so these were vulnerabilities you discovered mostly in that base station, which is which is the the administrative server for these robots, and, and there might be multiple robots deployed in, in a hospital. I'm guessing. Did you take a look at all at the robot itself and kind of what's under the hood with the um, tug hardware? Do we have any sense what's what's going on on the on the device itself? So we did not. We had a harder time uh, doing the research over there, and and again, usually the hospitals have around two dozen of these uh, devices. Uh, oh wow, that's a lot. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we, and they, and they just move around the hallways by themselves, and they they transport stuff to and fro, and and so on. Yeah. So they, they move around the hospitals, and they're controlled by the main server, and it's like I said, two dozen robots. Uh, set, uh, you know. 
plus minus depends on the organization. They are completely independent. They're moving across the organization. They can move the elevators by themselves. They can open doors by themselves. They can open medicine cabinets by themselves uh, to, you know, to transport medicine. Um, it was, it's pretty, it's like, again, it's and all a, it's that future, scheduling, right? all that scheduling happens via the, the home server, via the, via the main server. Yeah. So all that happens. Yeah. Like you said, via the main server and, uh, it, it that, that's kind of the, the, right. The brains behind the operation controls everything. Uh, and, and as such, we didn't see a lot of anything interesting from what we saw on the Tog robots in terms of their communication. They had a very simple communication with the base server and, that's where we saw as in terms of being the interesting aspect of where we did our research. Let's just talk about the most serious vulnerability here, which is the 9.8 severity one um, unauthenticated attacker. How how would that um, vulnerability be used either in a situation where you had a home server that was uh, accessible to the outside internet or even one that was yeah behind the hospital firewall, but um, but still open to anybody who's on that hospital network? So l- let me give it as a, as a range rather as a simple answer. Um, let's say, for example, you, you are able to connect from the internet to a home-based server that's open to the internet in the hospital. Uh, you, you know, you can go everything from the simple, right? The visible and aggressive type of attack. Think uh, like being a kid in an elevator, right? Going into the, uh, the, using a robot to go into an elevator and kind of doing a denial of service attack on the elevator by, you know, having it going through all the floors. Uh, to all the way stuff like opening uh, uh, doors that should be restricted, right? So you're going into a hospital and then you're able to control the robots and being able to use it to gain access to restricted areas in the hospital you shouldn't have access to. And it's stuff like patient interaction, right? You can use a robot to kind of go across the hospital, um, look in the camera, see a patient and you know do some kind of patient interaction, which would not be positive or beneficial, especially in more high profile patients. This is something that could be really disruptive, um, blocking doors or wards, mm-hmm. blocking hallways. And then you can go to the more, right, the more malicious kind of quiet kind of attacks, things like using the cameras to do PHI theft, uh, doing things like uh, me- medical uh, medicine uh, theft, right? If you have a, you can use a robot to get access to a, um, restricted medicines, medications, and kind of take them um, outside of their restricted areas and then be able to steal those medicines offsite um, and things like that. Mishandling of like lab samples. A lot of this is being used for transportation of lab samples. This could also something could be used for nefarious mm-hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. And and you can't, as a hospital employee, you know, you can't really interrogate a robot, right? If the robot's moving around, you're just kind of assuming the robot knows where it's going, right? I'm not, I can't really talk to him, but like, hey, what are you doing here? What do you got in your hand there? You know, it's just, it's a robot. Um, <laughs> this is a problem that we're going to have to deal with more in the coming years. Um, uh, it, it's, I mean, that, that 9.8 is the big vulnerability here, but some of these ones, rated, you know, eight severity are actually pretty serious sounding. There's one unauthenticated attacker can arbitrarily add new users with administrative privileges or delete or modify existing users. That was only rated 8.2. That sounds like kind of a nine to me. Um, Another, you know, unauthenticated attacker can freely access hashed user credentials. Again, these were really serious vulnerabilities. And it does raise a question with me, Daniel, of what was the security process here within this the manufacturer around, you know, software quality, obviously part of what they're doing is building a sophisticated medical robot. Um, and, and that is an easy and simple 
It sounds like on the software side, though, they needed a little bit more security expertise than maybe they had because these are really, this is low-hanging fruit from an adversary's perspective. And I, I don't want to throw this particular vendor under the bus. I think this is um, a wider problem in the industry. At the end of the day, hospitals, when they buy uh, everything from an, right, a ventilator or life-critical devices to anything like this, which are critical for the operation of the hospital, maybe may not as patient create critical as a ventilator, but still critical for operation of the device. The security teams are not, like they don't have the veto power needed to be able to come and say, okay, these devices, no, like we're, we're not buying a device unless it went through a, right, a, a penetration test, when a, which is pretty ironic because when a hospital buys a solution like mine, we need to show SOC 2 certificate. We need to show that we're being penetration tested every year. We need to show that we go through basic security processes and procedures, how our backups look like. And that's just because that's something that the IT and the security team controls. But if you're talking about stuff where the biomed team controls, and historically the biomed has not been under the IT department, the security department, this is starting to change, but it historically hasn't been that way. So the security team doesn't verify, doesn't require that as part of the purchasing process. And so you have a lot of these devices in the healthcare industry that are not, that are not going through any of these types of security process because there's no market push from the customers for this. They want to make sure they have the devices with the most features the most medical features and the lowest cost. Cost is right. very critical for the healthcare environment. So at the end of the day, the vendors are, aren't going to do that because that's not what the customers are asking for. Right. And again, the mission, the mission of the organization is really around patient care. And like you said, obviously cost control and, and those other things. You'd think maybe that, um, and, and I don't know if the FDA is in the business of approving these medical robots, although I'm sure they, they, they do have some review. No. Um, yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd think maybe, okay, if the hospitals don't have the wherewithal or the means to hire the red team, um, maybe that's a job for regulators um, to, to do if, if these are being deployed in, in sensitive environments like hospitals. Yeah. I, I think FD have started a shift in terms of being more involved from the security perspective of medical devices. They've released some new initiatives in the, in the last few years. And yeah, maybe they need to be more involved in that regard, but I think also the, the, the customers, right? At the end of the day, the hospitals need to, uh, are, are changing kind of how they look at the market, right? They're looking at understanding, and, and we've heard this now from customers that we've talked to about this vulnerability and also about other vulnerabilities that we've had, um, where they realize how critical and how impactful these types of vulnerabilities can potentially have for a healthcare for them. And they are starting to do that shift that, you know, the rest of the market did years back, but now hospitals are getting to the place where they, they're allocating the resources and allocating the budget, allocating the people to actually uh, start changing in a way where it comes from the customer, which is, I think, best. Like you want the regulator if the market isn't doing the work, but it's best that the, you know, the market does the changes that, that are needed to, you know, make this work out of the box. And we're seeing those changes in the hospital, like over those few years, where our scenario existed and our work with hospitals. I mean, when we started out, and I can just say this from our product perspective, when we started out at the company, customers were asking us about inventory and utilization of medical devices. Security mm -hmm. was like a tell, third tell us what thing. we have, right? Right. Tell us what we have. Tell us tell yeah. us if we can save money by buying less, right? And we're yeah. seeing that yeah. shift more and more from co companies and hospitals asking us more about, okay, wait, how tell us how can we reduce risk as quickly as possible and help uh -huh. us make that happen? And so we're uh -huh. seeing that shift happening. It's taking its time, but it's, it is happening in the healthcare industry. So we're very optimistic that in the near future, hospitals will not buy a device 
unless it has the security processes that, that are needed in place. And we demand that from the vendors, maybe not tomorrow, but soon. Yeah. What's interesting about this is it's a it's a newer type of medical device. Um, you know, these these autonomous robots and and um, obviously the, the feature set on this cameras and the ability to open doors and elevators and all this stuff is and move independently um, makes it particularly concerning. But these types of software vulnerability issues and um, and um, cyber risk issues aren't limited to robots. Obviously, they also exist in, like you said, you know, the, the, the MRIs and the infusion pumps and stuff. Um, how would you, I know there was a hearing this week uh, on Capitol Hill about um, medical cybersecurity and the issue of just all this legacy hardware that's been deployed, you know, over the last 10 or 20 years, you know, it's, it's software driven, you know, network connected, but really vulnerable. Where do you think the biggest risk is for hospitals? Is it, you know, again, this, this newer stuff that's coming out that's more feature rich and, and maybe autonomous, or is it that long tail of just, you know, legacy deployed hardware that's, you know, maybe unsupportable, uh, but out there and has a lifespan, maybe another decade or two decades? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to cheat and say both. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I think on the one hand, I, I think it's a two, it's a two pronged problem that hospitals are facing. The first one is like you mentioned, right? You have a lot of these devices that are coming in, um, ten to twenty years uh, of lifespan, and and the hospital, the, the company that you know did it um, doesn't exist, or even if it does exist, they don't have a security team or the infrastructure to continue to releasing pat- patches and updates to these devices. And like, it's not realistic to ask from any vendor to be able to continue to properly uh, release security patches for a device 20 years down the line. It, it's very rare for a company to be able to have the resources and the manpower to be able to do that. Uh, and, and the healthcare industry that is not overflowing with money is you know, no is definitely no exception. That's a big challenge that hospitals chase. Uh, the second part is really that we're seeing hospitals moving to more and more um, kind of IoT adoption, right? And, and more and more of, the, of these robots, like these Atheon Tark are just one type of robot that you have in hospitals. There's a lot of, there's a whole ecosystem of robots used by hospitals to allow them to provide uh, better patient care using less resources um, and, you know, with less cost from their side, things like surgical robots and, and all kinds of these, uh, um, you know, other IoT devices that are being used across the organization. And as hospitals become more and more dependent on these devices, at the end of the day, they need to figure out how they're resilient to these types of security issues so that uh, at the end of the day, they um, they can continue to function and that they're, they're uh, if, if, if a new vulnerability comes out tomorrow morning, the hospital doesn't shut down. At the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is it's been proposed, you know, sort of maybe like a cash for clunkers type program where, you know, the government gives incentives to, to hospitals to, um, you know, migrate out some of the legacy hardware and software. But your research would suggest, you know, not so fast, you know, some of the newer products that are being sold um, may not necessarily solve the cyber risk uh, problem. They may, you may just be swapping one set of problems for another set of problems, right? Right. At, at, the, end, yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, the problem with these types of programs is that you're, you're, you're going to have to continue doing them, right? Even a device that an, M, uh, an MRI system, the brand new one that a hospital is going to be buying now, in 10, 20 years, it's not going to be an insecurity update that needs to be getting. And the hospital isn't buying an MRI system for, I don't know, the three, five years that Windows 11 gets supported for, right? 
Okay, so what's your advice to you know hospitals, uh, doctors' offices uh, out there that are you know maybe really anxious to get some of this type of technology working in their environment? Again, it's cost savings for them. Um, um, but what would you say to them if they're concerned about having heard this podcast or read your report about you know the cyber risk that goes along with these sensor-rich, camera-enabled, autonomous types of uh, devices? So I think the important part in any type of uh, uh, pr purchasing of, of an IoT type system, which is critical for your organization, make sure you have your security team involved as early as possible, even before pur purchase. It's much easier to have a discussion with your vendor around security practices, security contracts, and stuff like that with the vendor before you purchase. So you want to have that as early as possible, not assume that it's something that's, you know, you know, you, like like I did before we found a scenario where you got into a hospital like, oh, okay, I'm sure this is secure. No, it's not secure, right? So also, you're not going to, don't buy an IoT system, just assume it's going to be secure and, and hope for the best. You have to make sure you get as early as, and as involvement as possible with your security team, with the vendor, to make sure there's processes in place, to make sure it's part of the uh, support contracting includes patching and how that security happens, what happens when a vulnerability comes uh, comes out. Do you have support from your vendor? Uh, what happens when a device gets infected? Again, do you have support from, are there a process in place from the vendor and who manages that, how that happens? It's critical to get these things done as early as possible because uh, doing them afterwards is much harder. It takes a much longer time and will be much costlier. And a final question, given that there was a big hearing on, on Capitol Hill this week on this topic, is there a role for either new new laws and regulations uh, or just better enforcement of existing regulations to address this cyber risk issue in the healthcare sector in, in, in your mind? I think a lot of the regulation that's been coming out in the recent years in the US have been more around telling hospitals um, what the results need to be and less than saying and how to reach those results. And I think those are those tend to be the best type of regulations because regulations can keep up with the moving world of technology mm -hmm. and making sure exactly which cybersecurity regulations need to be done. By the time you're going to, you know, come and codify which cybersecurity regulation needs to be applied, it will be relevant and, you know, and not, and not applicable to new devices. So I think more of that needs to happen, more of telling um, organizations, okay, make sure you have a security process in place, not necessarily say how it needs to look like, not necessarily saying all the details and kind of pushing organizations uh, to make sure that it can get there and helping organizations out also from a budgetary constraints around this should be helpful. And I think lastly, they need to make sure that the regulation is built in such a way which promotes sharing uh, from hospitals. So a hospital which gets infected and then is worried about sharing that information that it was infected or all the details because it could be sued, because it could be uh, hit with fines, because stuff like that. Uh, make sure that at the end that when a hospital will find this type of attack or when it's affected by an attack, when it finds a critical vulnerability, it tends to not want to share it. You need to make sure you build a, uh, the regulations out in such a way where there's a more of a sharing form among the hospitals that can help each other improve it, which happens in a lot of other organizations, not so much in the healthcare industry. Daniel Brody, CTO of Cynerio, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast. Thank you very much. Daniel Brody is the Chief Technology Officer at Cynerio. He was here to talk to us about vulnerabilities his firm discovered in the Tug robot, which is used in clinical settings.